idea about it and a lot of people didn't know about it and I found it really creepy and as I researched more and more I continued to get more and more creeped out I've never done anything like this before. I've never been an activist or thought of myself as an activist. Um, once I realized what was going on with the mass media and who's controlling everything, really, um, and the censorship that I've encountered myself on my social media pages, my emails, um, has been really creepy, and I get goosebumps thinking about it. Um, so I'm here just to create awareness. Um, what happened was my post got like taken down or like Facebook changed it so that only I could see my posts some of them uh, not a lot of them but still um, a lot of the comments that I posted in the message boards for people for um, the LA Times um, New York Times all of the major uh, media that was covering that made it seem like this is not a big deal um, if you look at the comment threads a lot of that is also being censored which is creepy heard of people getting their stuff taken down yes. but um, so April, this is April from Chicks on Bikes. Hi. This is Agata. April, Agata says that she doesn't know how to ride a bike and she keeps trying. Oh, really? Yes. Well, there's there's plenty of resources for you. We should. Do, do you want to learn how to ride a bike? We can do that. Very much so. Okay, cool. All right, here. Well, here. Let's start this way. I'll give you a card. Um, this is so great. Go ahead. I put these headphones on. You can really hear what's going on. So, oh, wow. Bicycle Revolution! Woo! I'm in love with everybody here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. That's wonderful. Um, well, nice to meet you. So, call me. I'm not so we have, uh, you know, we just met this person here. Right. And she doesn't know how to ride a bike. She says she dreams about it. That's, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to dream about. I dream about riding my bike all the time. Yeah. I do. And, and really? Yeah, why not? I don't know if I've ever dreamt about it, but uh, what, what do you do in your dream when you're riding a bike? I don't know. It's usually something I look forward to. For instance, like, you know, when I get up, like, riding the bike to work is kind of the highlight of the day. Wow. And you're our tech guy. This is Rev Mook, our tech guy. So we also have somebody from... Hi, my name is Justin Marks. I'm from California, California State University, Northridge. Great. And uh, you're here today... You want to describe like how you got involved, why you're interested? Sure. Yeah, I'm here today. Um, I guess one to represent myself as someone who's been affected by um, some of the same sicknesses that our, our system is is affected by. Um, originally, I got um, involved with activism and just basic awareness was um, through the efforts uh, to save public education. Um, and I was an or organize, or I was involved in some of the organi organizing of some of the demonstrations and protests that we had on campus. Um, in March 4, 2010, we had brought about 7,000 7, people out, and out of those 7,000, six were arrested, one of them being a 73-year-old professor whose arm was broken from her shoulder to her wrist. Um, and it, it created a rallying tool for us to kind of get behind um, and talk about the issues um, and then also get support for um, you know, our, our cause individually. And from there on, it kind of, um, it kind of like, I guess, sensitized my radar to some of the other um, truths that were um, being spread by people like um, the people here at Occupy LA. Yeah, who's, uh, so who's here, who have you, who have you connected with here? Um, I've con connected with um, a couple other groups from the colleges, trying to see how um, we can be a large proponent or uh, um, uh, bring that to the table. I know that there's other people here who's, who've had their homes stolen by banks, um, and I think that um, 
you know, with any struggle, I think the people that are affected by it most are going to be the, ha, need to be the first ones to to speak about it. So it's like, oh, even though I I um, I sympathize greatly um, with all the people that are here for a whole bunch of different reasons for police brutality and for um, like like I said, the the, the real estate thieving uh, thievery I guess has going been going on and. Um, you know, just, just I mean, all of it, and um, I think that, like, once again, those people need to stand up first. The people uh, most directly affected by it, um, and so I've been trying to connect with other um, of the college. I think Occidental College is out here, U UCLA, USC is out here, and there's a large number of CSUN students out here as well. Um, so these these things, a lot of times, the value of them, or one of the the things that's good about them, is that they uh, they start these networks. Do you see that happening? Yeah, definitely. And um, I think that's that's where our gonna. I think that's where our biggest strength is gonna lie. And um, like once again, I, I think that when it comes down to the the individual uh, cause being fought for just as strongly uh, as the collective one. Um, and uh, I think you know through the network, I, I think it's great that we're seeing um, a reflection of what's been going on in the rest of the world. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that it had to happen to us last, but at the same time, I think better late than never. So I'm, I'm glad that we're utilizing resources like Twitter and uh, Facebook. It, it, coming here, it's almost like a time warp. Like, it looks like something like um, Hyde and Ashbury uh, in the 60s in San Francisco. But yet, then you see, like, you, you get snapped back to reality and you see an iPhone somewhere. And it's, it's, a, it's cool. It's really cool. What's your major? Um, I'm a double major in African-American studies and English. You're going to be a teacher? Um, I'm look. I'm just studying for the CBS right now, so I'll probably be a teacher. Um, looking at law schools right now. Um, so yeah, that, that's those are some of my goals. A lot of times it's like teaching or law. Right, right, right. Let me give you a bike talk flyer. Um, do you, Jess? You said Justin. Justin, do you ride a bike? Um, I do actually. I have. Um, I've had like two bikes stolen, and this one I've got protected with two new U locks. So I'm hopefully I'll be able to hold on to it. Is it here? No, it's not here. Yeah, it's, it's actually in repair right now. I bent my rim. It's just eating through tires, so I had to get it fixed. Yeah. All right. Well, um, keep in touch through the through the thing. If you want to stop by, you know, let me know. If you have anybody that you said, like you were saying, that people who are you know personally affected by some of the issues that we're talking about here. Right. And if you could bring them by, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Thank you. I think it's important that we're on our, that we are our own media because obviously mainstream media isn't doing it. So I, I love what you guys are doing here. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. I'm a teacher too. Oh, okay. Cool. Good stuff. Um, you got any more like this? Okay. I don't know. Do you have any more students? Yes. Um, I'll grab more some for you. Nick said any more like this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll grab. Uh, I'll grab some more of the people that I came with. Okay. okay. Thank, Thank you. you. So we got, we're going to teach someone how to ride a bike. That is great. Did you get her contact info? No. Maybe I should go find her. Yeah. You, I mean, even if you're helping somebody, sometimes you got to, mm, yeah. you know, drag them with you and, and actually. She's very excited. Yeah, but I think she was excited just in general. Okay. Turquoise shirt. I'm going to go find Agata and make sure that I have her phone number so we can teach her how to ride a bike. Well, you look prepared. I'm prepared. I've got all different types of recording devices. <laughs> Do you have, uh, like, power shots or anything? What's that? I thought you bike people had uh, power shots. I had a, um, some fuel, as we call it, on the way here. Okay. <laughs> it was a bar. It was just a bunk breaker. I mean, when I say you, be, I, I, you, I should say uh, triathletes. Well, you know, that's just a side hobby. 
That's not something I do all the time. It's not your identity. No, it's not. It's just one small sliver. Mikey! Mikey Wally, everybody. <laughs> Mikey Wally is perhaps the preeminent bike photographer in Los Angeles. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> and you got it, uh, your camera on you. What kind of camera? Um, I shoot with a Canon uh, T2i body and a Sigma 30 1.4 lens. Chins up if you're a camera nerd. My body has a 1.6 crop factor. And 1.6 times 30 is 48, so I effectively shoot with a 48-millimeter lens. You know what? You could just be making that up. and I, But it sounds... I'm, I'll hire you for my wedding or whatever. So, or my bike wedding. Hell yeah. So, um, you do a lot of bike photography, right, Mikey? Absolutely. What are some of the memorable pictures that you have taken? Um, recent ones. I really, I really enjoyed shooting Wolfpack bike from Los Angeles to Las Vegas in 17 hours. Me and uh, Roadblock were in a car and we uh, were supposed to just drop. That's fast, huh? It's really fast. And it was in the basically at night most of the time. Well, it's better, I would think. Yeah, but you have to, I mean, roads you've never been on and there's no street lights, you know, it's the country, so they have to rely on their own powerful lights that are on their bikes. So it wasn't the highway? Um, or, no, it is the country. It's just the highway in the country. I think they get on the highway occasionally, but it was mostly roads next to the highway. But that was that was really that was a blast. That was a blast. And the uh, inner bike was okay. <laughs> what do you mean okay? Well, is it corporate? Well, no. I went with Don, and he got in a little bike accident. So I really didn't go to inner bike at all. I just helped him out with like his his injuries in the hospital. Yeah, I've just seen him lately. He's like, he's got a cracked ribs and a, like a lacerated liver. Yeah, and uh, and he hit his head and he's bleeding, but he didn't have any skull fractures or anything, so that was really good. And he's getting a lot better now. So he wasn't wearing a helmet. That's basically it. It was a it was a mechanical failure where uh, the crank arm had a hairline fracture and became weak, and it snapped. And he's really tall, six foot eight. Uh, his head hit the pavement. He hit the side of his. Uh, his left side and wasn't wearing a helmet and basically yeah that's it you know mechanical failures can happen to anybody thank god it happened where it did it wasn't in a rural mountain pass or something there was paramedics on scene uh he was going slow and there was a hospital nearby so you know and now he says that he will always wear a helmet hopefully (laughs) the thing is it you always hear about these people who are like now i'll always wear a helmet yeah people say that Whereas before, it's like you could have told him that that might happen. I mean, I wear a helmet. You probably don't, right? Well, I wear a helmet when I have the chance. I've been in uh, some... Proselytizing. I'll stop. Okay. Do you have a thought about that? Helmets? I I thought I detected a wince from Reverend Mook here. Do you know Reverend Mook? My my helmet's in the mail. I talked to people at Laser, and they, they hooked me up, and... I got for your dreadlocks to fit through? Or? Actually, yeah, they have uh, <laughs> helmets that fit ponytails. <laughs> so, <laughs> Are you being serious? Yeah, I'm dead serious. Laser. Do you, are you going to find one to fit your beard, Reverend Mook? No. Yeah, I guess that makes no sense. So you're, what else? Uh, Interbike, uh, Wolfpack to Las Vegas. What, what, what are these pictures like? Can you describe them in words? Um, the Wolfpack ones are kind of gritty uh grainy black and white uh at night some overexposed flash a, a bunch of photos of 
guys in spandex in a diner eating diner food. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And a lot of uh, bicycle legends. Yeah. What do you mean bicycle? Oh, you mean inner? Well, how? Where? Oh, dude, that that there's this guy Robbie. I don't know. Don will be able to tell you if he's around. I forgot who they were though. So where do we find these pictures? Your website, your blog. Oh, yeah, uh, you can find them at mikeywally.com, M-I-K-E-Y-W-A-L-L-Y, or flickr.com slash mikeywally. Basically, if you Google Mikey Wally, you'll be able to find whatever you need that's connected to me, photos, stuff like that. Well, Mikey, I saw you in a movie, uh, uh, the Angelopes movie? Yeah, Angelopes movie, amazing. Richie Thompson, fucking great director. Ooh, I can't swear, right? No, yeah, you can. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fuckity fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> We're occupying the media. Yeah, dude. Killradio.org. And KPFK on the podcast. So, Rev Mook, are you, uh, what are you doing? I'm thinking about finding some lunch somewhere. I'm Good. starving. Eat here. Can we eat here? I don't know. Is there food? The food here has been amazing for the past. This is day seven of Occupy LA at City Hall. And I got to say, I've been spoiled with some of the city's best pizza. Uh, and some of the best Food Not Bombs cooks from around uh, the greater Los Angeles area. The food has been absolutely outstanding. That is so important. It is. And free. I feel like those people who watch the parades, you know, and <laughs> comment on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, you know, like the, on like Thanksgiving Day, the Macy's Day Parade, you got the two people in the booth and they're like commenting on the parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so, Mikey, if you find anybody who you think would be good to talk to, you know, send him here, okay? Yeah, absolutely. We also have a, uh, in other news, there's a, there's a bike shop here at Occupation, at, at Occupy LA. Uh, we have limited amount of tools, and uh, we have a bike stand, and we're looking for basically tubes, maybe some tires, and uh, people that can help other people fix bikes. Because I brought the tools, I don't really know how to fix bikes, though, so... Why, is, why tubes? Is it people getting flats? Yeah, people are getting flats, and I, I, the, the patch kits are running thin. And I think it's just easier for people to put a new tube in when they don't know what's up. Okay, so we need tubes, folks. Um, thank you, Mikey. Where the tubes at? That's right. Thanks, Where man. the tubes at? All right, that was Mikey Wally. Do you need any help with that? Uh, well, if you can just recruit. Yeah. I think it would be maybe a good conversation to have. Totally. All right, sir. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Couldn't be more honored to be here. Wow, thank you. Um, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's a great way of putting it. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, no. We've been, many of us have been waiting for this for, it seems like, lifetimes. I've been involved in a social struggle for 25 years, and I've never seen anything quite like this. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited. Well, so what have you been involved in? What, what have you been doing biding your time for this? It all started 25 years ago with this crazy idea that if we could get the University of Texas to quit investing money in South Africa, maybe we could get this man out of jail. And, uh, and it worked. We got the University of Texas. I was in Austin, Texas, 15 years old. Got the University of Texas to disinvest. That started a domino effect of disinvestment in South Africa. And not only did we free the man from jail, he went on to become president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela. So I got the idea early on that it works, that the people really do have the power. And even if we aim big, it may even go bigger. We start a process of doing the right thing. And we know how, have no idea how far that will go or how good it will be. So it showed me that there's no time wasted in the movement. There's nothing that is in the early days where it seemed like a far-out idea. As did, uh, and then years later, I met Jack Hare, and he convinced me that hemp would change the world. 
So we got the crazy notion that we're having a hard time getting legalized, that we'd step back a little bit, focus in on something called medical marijuana, and see if we could get that posted here in California. And even the people who'd sign our petitions in the mid-90s would laugh in our face and be like, yeah, it's a great idea, but you're not going to open up medical clubs. Well, we now have a 1,000 medical clubs in the state of California that are serving patients from, from you know, north to south. So, again, I'm shown that when people activate, when people focus, we can succeed. We can create laws. We can create policy. And, uh, and it's really up to us. I don't think it's a matter of how many people talk about how disempowered they are. I think people are truly intimidated by how much power they have. And that's what keeps them from acting. There's a quote about that. I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's a theme in, in all great people trying to figure out why the rest of us aren't rising up. <laughs> What's your name again? My name is Patrick Moore. And uh, so you talked about uh, apartheid and you were active in that. And you said you've been active for many years. 25 years. Since I first did with Nelson Mandela, I realized we do have the power and I wasn't going to waste my time not expressing it. And so uh, what do you do the rest of the time when you're not uh, active? I've been working with the Beck Protocol. I met Dr. Bob Beck the same year I met Jack Hare, and they both convinced me they had a way of saving the world. So uh, Dr. Beck introduced me to what he called the $4 AIDS cure. It's a bioelectric protocol utilizing ozone and colloidal silver, pulse magnetic fields, and direct current. He called it the $4 AIDS cure because each patient you take through, you have to get basically a new 9-volt battery. And then you're ready to go to take another patient through, and we were having incredible success treating AIDS, cancer, herpes, lupus, uh, even multiple sclerosis, which my mother had and has been cured now. So uh, so that's taken up a lot of my time. On the, on the flip side, I got involved in biofuel in the early 90s, and uh, after a while, realizing that American farmers could be getting paid for what we do in, in industry and, and personally, instead of uh, you know the, the, the thousand oil barons that run the world, I figured that was really important. And again, some years of trying to teach and share that. I narrowed in on a campaign where I was going to try to get somebody bigger than me to start talking about it. If I could get somebody who's already a celebrity. So I chose my uh, cousin, a distant cousin, Willie Nelson. And I started hounding him for about two years. And sure enough, backstage, him and the whole crew would just laugh at me in my face as I kept talking about biofuel. I'd give him a little write-up every time I'd see him. I get little backstage passes. So I'd write up a thing on hemp paper. What biofuel would do for the American farmer? Because Willie was all about the American farmers, right? So after two years, well, actually, after two years, the family cut me off. No more backstage passes. You leave Willie Nelson alone. Let him do his country thing, and you go do your hippie fuel thing. About a year or two after that, Willie Nelson announced he was Bio Willie and became the largest thing in biofuel in America. He's got 400 gas stations serving biofuel. Now he's opening a chain of, of, uh, of stations called Bio Willie Stations. So again, I kind of lifted that up off my shoulders, handed it to somebody who was more uh, globally connected, and I went back to bioelectrics. Because despite Herb having a huge movement behind it, and now Biofuel, a huge movement behind it, the actual $4 cure for AIDS is still way, way, way underground. So I've sort of taken that as my, my spearhead, the thing that if until somebody famous takes it up, I'm going to keep focusing on it. Because there are many solutions to our many problems. Well, you know, I think when you approach people with something that's, just not even part of their their scheme their schema their way you know it's not even it doesn't fit anywhere in their in what they're used to thinking about you know you have one of several reactions oh yeah no they ignore you they ridicule you they attack you i mean that's just generally the this is the spectrum right there and uh, many ignore me and i've been ridiculed and i've certainly been attacked for doing what i do but i've got thousands of cured people behind me i've set up over a hundred of these clinics like i said i spent some time in a I ended up with this, this bioelectric protocol. I was traveling, ended up in the Western Highlands of Guatemala. I spent eight years in the Western Highlands of Guatemala treating Mayan refugees with colloidal silver and ozone because they worked so well. I adopted 200,000 Mayans in the Western Highlands and 
figured I was going to try to offset the uh, Peace Corps and all these groups that were down there handing out expired vaccines and expired pharmaceutical drugs that aren't good when they're fresh, but really aren't good when they're not fresh. So as a counterbalance to that, I was going to try to uh, introduce something sustainable. So we started making hemp textiles. I started bringing down hemp food and spirulina, super blue-green algaes, and... Um, and oh and it's clodal silver in the ozone which never don't work they work every time for everything real quick ucla tested clodal silver against everything they had 650 different pathogens in 1995 ebola lupus anthrax weapons grade anthrax six different strains of herpes it killed every one of them within 10 minutes ampicillin kills i think 18 penicillin kills i think 20 and, and, and some of those will become resistant and get stronger. There's never been a resistant strain that's gotten stronger from 100 years of well-documented clodal silver use, and it works every time. So, again, and it's safe. That's the key. All right. So, so you ride a bike? I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I ride a bike when I'm not driving my hemp fuel car. Now my biofuel car runs on hemp oil. So for three years, I've been running a, a, a hemp Mercedes-Benz here in California just to make the point that it can be done. Oh, cool. Um, all right. Well, so w w w tell me about your involvement right here. Like, you're going to keep staying here? How long are you going to be here? I've been here since last Saturday morning. So I'm on week one. We've now gotten through our first week, which is really the hurdle. It took us a little while to get settled in, kind of figure out the dynamics of living on the front lawn of a uh, city hall. And now that we're really starting to form a community and get active, today's going to be our first big day of making some presentations and really reaching out to the world in a dynamic and creative way. So, again, we're glad we got our tents settled. We're glad we all know where the bathrooms are and where to get our food. And now, it's the, now the work begins. We start interfacing with the public and really building the momentum. We now have 800, and now it may be you know, more. As of last night, 800 cities in occupation. It was 75 just a couple days ago. And so we are building momentum quicker than I think any of us really imagined. And, uh, and that's, that's history being on our what are What are some of the new cities? Excuse me? Some of the new cities that are, that are being occupied. Oh, I mean, there, again, there are hundreds, big cities and small cities. It's amazing. I like to think there are little towns out there with five kids in a tent at their city hall and that there are bigger cities with 100 people and there are cities like this with thousands of people occupying and thousands more passing through and spending a little time taking notes, taking pictures, and then heading home. And so it's, a, it's not the occupation isn't only anybody here. The occupation is anybody who's focusing on this at the moment, anybody who sends down some tents, anybody who gets on the phone and calls a radio station and reminds them of what we're doing, you are also occupying. We are all part of this. You don't, we are the symbol of the occupation with the tents and the people out on the lawn. The occupation is all of us that feel the need for justice, that feel the need to hold the bankers accountable for what's happened in the last five years here. We are at the corner of Temple and North Main in Los Angeles at City Hall at Occupy LA. So what, now tell me how people come to consensus here. There's so many different people, so many different trajectories. How, how does it all, how does it come together? Certainly. You know, we're a movement that's being uh, ridiculed in the mainstream media for not having a focus, for not knowing why we're here. And we are the 99%. So, of course, we have a rich diversity of issues from, from hemp prohibition to freeing Mumia to social justice issues to uh, educational issues. All that's part of our umbrella but we are on the lawn with demands. We have a list of demands that's posted on uh, uh, OccupyWallStreet.org. And, uh, and somehow Fox and CNN can't seem to find our website or figure out what it is that we have posted on the net weeks ago. And one of the reasons may be that in a Google search yesterday, we did not come up in the top 50. When you type Occupy LA, 
specific list of demands, we are not one of the top 50 that come up. So there are all sorts of organizations who are claiming and get the early Google searches claiming that we want a free education and we want to shut down this and stop that and free this. That's not actually our list of demands. That may be something most of us do want, but we do not leave this lawn until seven list of demands are met. And so we're trying to clarify some of those demands and uh, reinstating the glass steagle. As geeky as that sounds and insignificant as that may seem, much of the problem we've had in the last 10 years is, uh, is this uh, freeing up and the, the ability for investment bankers to work with bankers. And that was what Glass-Steagall banned uh, 50 years ago. So there's some simple solutions to our problems. And uh, I think this very well thought out group. And again, we're hammering through it day by day. The consensus are hours and hours of meetings. Everybody has a chance to express themselves. Nobody gets overlooked or skipped. So again, it's a time consuming and thoughtful process, but it's, uh, it's working. And uh, that's what democracy takes. It takes communication, time, and dedication. And we have all that here. I like the way you don't get thrown off by all the... uh, We're being handed uh, some really cool stickers. Hey, sir, did you make these? Uh, We got it printed out. We're pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you. We are the 99%. Uh, We're going to be handling the logo for Occupy LA and uh, Occupy. So it could be used internationally as well as nationally, Occupy. And uh, we're getting some patents and trademarks. And we are trying to structure ourselves to be uh, pluralistic in the sense that uh, we don't have any hidden agendas and there's no specific cause aside from taking back our government and taking care of our debt, which we'll never pay on our own. We were just talking about uh, list of demands. Do you know them by heart? I don't know them by heart, but I got a pretty good outline. The, the, the basics are, um, again, reinstating the Glass-Steagall Act, uh, prosecutions of the criminal banking cartels of the last... The Glass-Steagall years. Act? Glass-Steagall is a very important act passed by Roosevelt. The last time we had a Great Depression like this, oh, some notes were made and some clarity was found that the big problems were investment bankers acting like bankers and bankers acting like investment bankers. So the Glass-Steagall Act was passed by Roosevelt at the very end of his term. He slipped it in there. And it said that if you're an investment banker, you've got to let everyone know and you can't act like a bank. If you take your money into a bank, you assume it's sitting in the back room in a vault. If you take it to an investment banker, you know he's taking it to Wall Street and investing it for you. But if you take your money to a banker and he can take it to Wall Street and lose your money on Wall Street, that was the big problem. So the Glass-Steagall Act banned that. We lifted the Glass-Steagall Act in the last 10 years. It said we trust the bankers to manage themselves we're not going to actually put regulations on them, banning them from taking our pension funds to Wall Street. So you know what they did? Exactly that. They took our pension funds to Wall Street. They emptied out the banks, shifted them over to the investment bankers, threw them all on Wall Street in what were many fraudulent uh, fraudulent transactions. It's like selling a Timex as a Rolex. That would be fraud out here, but on Wall Street, apparently, that's just business as usual. So we've lost trillions of dollars by repealing the Glass-Steagall Act. And if we want to immediately stop this, this, this funnel going out, we reinstate the Glass-Steagall Act and, uh, and we will have a, a fair and balanced banking system again. It's, it's possible. It's doable. Again, it sounds a little bit geeky, but it is important at this moment. Sorry. No, no. Things are happening. <laughs> no, we are on location here at the Occupy LA. Oh, and another one. I mean, again, just getting the, uh, like the, the very famous speech... Uh, Given by Eisenhower, his last speech as he was leaving, he recognized that the military-industrial complex was becoming the greatest threat to American security, and he tried to warn us about that. And that is also one of our list of demands, is for the military-industrial complex to be distinctly separated from our military. 
that the military should not be working in conjunction with the industrial complex that is uh, the trillion-dollar industry behind it. And there need to be clear separations in those. And so we have a very reasonable set of demands, very easily obtained if we just proactively acted like a, a conscious government and took care of crim- white-collar criminals the way we take care of people stealing hubcaps and uh, stealing cable. Thank you. My pleasure. We'll talk to you again. That's all. Respect. So you were telling me, you got, are you the one behind these T-shirts? T-shirts? No. You, you make the bumper stickers? I don't make the bumper stickers. We can just contract it out with, um, I believe it's RTC. Uh, I don't want to pigeonhole you as like a bumper sticker maker. No. No, we got the banner, though. We have a great rate. We got the same rate as 7-Eleven gets. Uh, so that's like the largest um, chain of fast food outlets in the country. And uh, so, therefore, we could leverage and probably make like we estimated somewhere around ten to fifteen thousand dollars per day, just on. So you selling these? Um, we're we're discussing that at financing. We haven't etched anything in stone. That is the that is the potential we have at this juncture, uh, as it com- pertains to the logo, brandishing, uh, banners, uh, print media items that we're going to distribute around the country, as well as internationally. Uh, so ninety nine is going international. We are international. Um, so, they, you can. Joni is fascinated by your bumper stickers because I'm one of the ninety nine percent. Oh, thank you. So you guys can actually consent on making something that you can then. Sorry. That you guys can consent on making something that you can use to earn money. Oh yeah, we haven't done anything to earn money. Don't get us wrong. We haven't done anything to earn money. I have some students from Whittier College. Okay, great. All right. What I'm saying is Occupy LA has the capacity at this juncture to bring in that type of revenue stream, which uh, we are declining at this juncture until we have our bylaws and our financial state uh, clearly out on the table, etched in stone, and adhered to bye-bye procedurally. What's your name? Nasser. Can you? I go by Nazareth around here. Oh, cool. So how have you liked it so far? How have you liked it so far? We are the, one of the most important movements of America in the last 250-some-odd years. We are really a revolution that everybody's been waiting for and yearning for all their lives. Thank you, Nasser. Welcome. All right, so we got a couple of students from Whittier College next. What, do, uh, what are you guys' names? Oh, my name is Rex. I'm Darren. And what are you all about here today? What are you doing? I mean, why are we here? Sure. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so, yeah, we're from Whittier College, and we've been hearing about this for a while. Actually, um, I heard that this was going to start around August, so I wanted to see what would happen. So I'm really excited that it's spreading, and we're trying to see if we can get more of our classmates interested to find some way not only to participate in this movement, but also to um, start some kind of Occupy Whittier movement, maybe, or get something going on our own campus um, to kind of raise consciousness and promote a, a, a bigger view of this movement and this issue. I think this is a rare opportunity. I just heard that you have about, there's like 800 cities that have just started this. Yeah, I know. It's pretty amazing. And um, I think, obviously, this is the kind of thing that's been building for a while, and it's it doesn't happen a lot. I don't know when the last time there's really been a big mass movement against um, against you know 
political corruption, against the involvement of finance in politics, and against the power of banks, and, you know, so... I was just going to say against anything, really. Against anything, exactly. So I think the the last time there was really a mass movement, it was the Tea Party, but then that was exposed, you know, as a lot of um, astroturfing and... Um, <clears throat> What's astroturfing? Um, where <clears throat> it's like, it's, it's the idea of having fake grassroots. So, um, you know, the Tea Party was supposed to be this spontaneous uproar, these common Americans and this kind of thing, when actually the way it worked was a lot of uh, top Republicans started these front organizations that were called stuff like, I don't know, Help America, Protect America. And rather than having any kind of revolutionary populist fervor, what happened is they worked to get a lot of Republicans in office and get a lot of Democrats. So it was mainly a conflict between two parties posing as a populist uprising. So, yeah. It reminds me of this thing I saw when, uh, the, in 2000 when the elections in Florida were, were hijacked, when they had these... Uh, Republican staffers pretending to be a popular protest and they interrupted the ballot recounts? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, as I recall, they also destroyed some ballots within, I forget which Florida county, but uh, there's a lot of political corruption. There's other things that went into the RNC of Florida, for example, not allowing ser several black citizens to vote. And I think in 2001, afterwards, there was the whole measure to try to make sure and this is also in Indiana, but Florida, Indiana, were trying to keep more black citizens, elderly citizens, homeless citizens, unable to vote by messing up with the entire, uh, not just the ballot box, but also if you were mentally disabled, you were not able to vote. You had to sign some, some form saying if you were mentally disabled, your vote would be uh, contested. There was another case in Florida where, I get by law, you... Uh, and this is Indiana, they try to pass this, was it called the Getting People to Vote Act, where they would change, if you, they would send you a, something in the mail, government form in the mail, and if you had to sign it, fill it out, and send it back, but if you didn't do that, you would have to re-register, and your vote could be contested. So I think as a sociologist... Which makes a lot of people just not bother to do it. Excuse me? Which would have made a lot of people just not do it. Right, exactly. They're trying to disenfranchise the lower class. But again, that's just that that whole movement and that kind of movement is just about two parties trying to hold on to power and fighting each other. So I think that's the difference between something like this, where it's trying to find a source of power and a source of uh, empowerment outside of those elite, kind of distant, alienated groups. So yeah, that's why uh, I've been pretty enthusiastic and inspired that this is actually going on. Yeah. What's your experience been from, from the start to now? Well, we just got here. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, I think last semester in, at, at our own college, we started um, a community forum where um, we practiced a kind of a non-agenda, non-hierarchical model of coming together as a community to try to include faculty and students and workers. And our idea was also that... Um, we should organize as a community, empower ourselves as a community, and see what we can do on our own behalf as people and not as, you know, people who, are, you know, as roles, as workers or whatever. So we're actually really excited that this is going on because it kind of encourages us in our own work on our own campus. Can I ask you a question here? I'm just thinking these are two guys who have a lot to say about stuff that, that 
people at Kill Raider are interested in. Is there any way we could get like a remote um, setup for them so that they could do a show for Kill Radio? Um, what do you mean? Um, like we have here, like a remote setup, and and we can kick the stream off. I mean, it, I guess it'd be the same stuff. Yeah, but like, can we do that? I'd be fine with that. Rex told me that he actually had a radio show, so he might be familiar with some of the technology. Yeah? Would you be interested in doing a radio show for Kill Radio? Um, well, right now I'm going through a senior seminar, which uh, right, uh, which you is... Like, you mean like right now? Oh, right now. Right now? Definitely. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Would like, like soon, in the future. I, think, I don't know. I think oh. we'd have time. Oh, and we, so, have, um, we have uh, Leandro and Connor. They'd be interested. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You mean, so doing it from here? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think we should try. try yeah. It. Yeah. I am just throwing that out there. and <laughs> It's fine with me. I mean, yeah. there's just some, you know, our equipment, you know, we'll just leave here. Um, you need it for tomorrow, though, right? Yeah, I need it for tomorrow. But after that. Right. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, we, we have our, um, like, I don't know, what is it, uh, video production thing on campus. So, actually, um, I was just thinking about having them. Try to come, trying to get them to come down here and, and do something too. Well, okay, this is, yeah. you know what, this is not really an interview. This is me right, right. doing business yeah. here. Uh, but let me ask you, uh, have you found that the way that you try to organize these non-hierarchical, uh, you know, ways of organizing meetings, is it like the, what they're doing here? Um, similarly, I would say there's this whole building of consensus of how the democratic process goes and it's more focused on participatory democracy which usually happens when democratic regimes collapse as we've seen everywhere throughout the industrialized world you mean so-called democratic right yeah so i mean the democratic institutions that were fresh become corrupted because of outside institutions that play a role within the inner institutions and which is guaranteed going to happen for example italy ha- has a weak uh, direct democratic process, and sorry, California's a weak, de- uh, weak democratic. Italy, California. Italy. The problem with Italy is that they're uh, they have proportional representation of a weak bureaucracy, and so they can't counteract the corruption scandal, corruption issues. Uh, Sweden, however, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going completely off topic, but the point is, does that happen a lot here? I think probably with all these the people. Yeah. I don't know. I would assume so. I mean, yeah. I think um, the fact is is that these kind of things are um, attended by people who probably have been waiting for something like this for a long time. Exactly. So there's probably a lot of ideas and a lot of things that people have been holding up, you know, for years. Yeah. I, I would like to bring up, um, this is a psychologist of the political phenomenon called GURP. And we have three different, um, there's three phenomena he brings up called decremental deprivation, uh, aspirational deprivation and progressive deprivation. We we are here seeing the phenomenon of two two, pheno- two of the phenomenon of relative deprivation of society, which is called aspirational and decremental. The reason why it's decremental is that people here are losing their jobs. The uh, the austerity measures have ruined us. The 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 banks are in control, and the reason why it's aspirational. We've hoped for a long time that things would get better. We've hoped for a long time that society would progress, despite the fact that the bourgeoisie controls containing society and we wish to change. So we have those two phenomenons existing here. I'm being distracted by April. April, what's up? Oh, I'm really interested in, there's a man over here passing out seedlings. They're trees. He's, he's 
doing something with trees. Um, uh, you want to? I want to see if we can get someone to. Make, well, he looks. He's, he's got a cart set up. Let's see if we can get him to come over and, and talk to him. Um, do you want to take a break? Sure. You want to take the mic? You want to finish up with these guys? The social connections. You know what to ask? No? I'll watch you. I'll stand here. Social connected. Okay, so we're going to try to um, get this man over here who's passing yeah. out these, these lovely little trees to, to people. Um, so you guys just got here. I'm yeah. very excited to, to have you here. And did I interrupt you? So did you want to finish your thought, oh, Rex? No, I'm sorry. Really about, there's this p- political scientist called Manker Olson. And he said the problem with every social movement is that there's a free rider clause. So people don't go out to protest because they believe that if this person goes to protest, they don't need a protest. And I found that people here felt like this is a revolutionary society, so they connected with all the social forums that have already been established and say, I don't care if somebody else protests other than me, I'm going to protest nonetheless because this is a revolutionary moment in our, the entire zeitgeist, the time of, you know, sorry, the spirit of the time. And the spirit of the time is said, this is the time for revolutionary action. Indeed. Indeed. I know there, as you said, Darren said um, that people are out here for a variety of different reasons. And um, it is nice to just see that we can all be here and share the commonality of of the experience, really. And know that we are like-minded to to some degree and we can express our frustration. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I think um, so many people get used to viewing their friends, their neighbors, as, as some kind of abstracted other people who are apathetic, who don't understand, or whatever. So it's good when we can realize that that's not really the case, that we all have different motivations and different reasons, but there are always going to be circumstances where we'll, we'll find a common cause to come together. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, going on that is that we're not having a formal protest. We're having a combination of a formal protest a sit-in, a type of counterculture as if that exactly exists within this own sociological transformation. And so you're having people here from all different parts of L.A. come together and kind of act as a social unit, if you will, and a kind of an assembly, too. It's always inspired me. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is the 1968 of our generation. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's true. It's true. We'll go go explore. Yeah. Um, uh, come back. We'll be here, much. and and um, okay. we'll find you. Uh, I'm sure Nick will find you yeah. guys and talk to you about. You have a flyer, and yeah, we'll we can figure out how to get you on the air again, and you can mobilize more students. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Joni, do you want to talk on the radio for a bit? Oh, look! April has her headphones on. Can you hear me? It's so funny, I can't hear a monitor, so I have no idea what I'm saying. I just want to talk about, this is Joni, the accidental yogist uh, at Occupy LA, and I just want to mention that there was a yoga class here at 10 o'clock this morning uh, that was taught by Daniel Overberger, who also teaches yoga at Runyon Canyon by donation. And from what I hear, they plan on having a yoga class here on the steps of City Hall every morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. Not necessarily taught by him, but I think other people have volunteered to come and teach the class, and I think I think there's also been the offer to teach a sunrise yoga class. Uh, I, I'm trying to find the, get the details myself. I'll probably talk about it on my show. 
cheap plug for my show, Yoga Chat Wednesday. Sorry, 1 o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. But, yeah, yoga out here. And there are people playing drums. This is a really cool, cool atmosphere here. I think I want to grab my tent and move in. Anyway, back to you. Are you... Uh, no, don't walk away. Wait a second. Um, I can hear you perfectly in okay. my headphones, just sure. so you know. It sounds great. Um, so you are going to go to Tour de Fat, and I wanted to just talk about that for a second, sure. because we were going to have... Um, I, I interviewed two guys from Tour de Fat yesterday. We were going to play the show in the studio this morning, but because we're here, I wanted to just celebrate Tour de Fat a little bit, because yeah, yeah, yeah. New Belgium is an awesome company, and they are doing all they can to... Um, you know, celebrate the bicycle revolution. So, you're, so tell us about Tour de Fat. You're going in a little while. I, I am. I am. In fact, there is a bike costume parade that starts at 11 o'clock, which is about soon. And I'm hanging around here until I saw, see them go by. So they're supposed to leave um, L.A. State Park, L.A. State Historic Park, otherwise known as the Cornfield. They're leaving it, supposed to leave at 11 o'clock and right around downtown L.A. So if you're anywhere in the downtown area and you see a big, big, big group of costumed people on bicycles going around, honk your horn, wave, join in. It's a tour de fat. And uh, they're going to circle around downtown, end up back at the cornfield, and they're going to spend a day just having a great time doing bikey stuff. And in fact, I think the highlight of the day is somebody has given up their car. Her name is Jessica Alexander. She's from Long Beach, and she's, she actually applied last year, and she didn't. She barely made the cut, but she's getting her new bike this year. It's a black sheep handmade bike from a maker in Colorado, so she's surrendering her car today. Awesome, because I was there last year, and what they do, they make a big production out of it. Yeah. They put her on some kind of float, drive, you know, cart her around, and they present her with a bicycle because she's basically vowed she turned in her car, she will go carless and now ride her bike from now on. So that's the highlight of the event. And there's going to be all kinds of fun stuff for people who ride bikes and people even who, if you don't, just have a great time. Lots of people honking here. It's great. Lots of support. Anyway, I have to go because I'm going to keep an eye out for the parade as they go by. But like I said, look for costume people. We're going to be having a great time. Okay, Joni, thanks for talking. Have a good time today and um, enjoy Tour de Fat for us. And, and uh, yes, thank you, Michael and Matt, for taking the time out to do an interview with um, me yesterday. And uh, have fun at Tour de Fat and Tour de Fat Los Angeles. We're happy that it finally came to Los Angeles. Four years in a row now? So we are looking for someone else to talk. And... Um, Let's see, what can I tell you guys? There's lots of tents. There are hundreds of tents here, all different colors, all different sizes. Um, there are lots of people. Everybody's really calm. Um, people just collectively gathering and talking and lots of photographers. Um, every different type of person, I would say, is represented here. Um, there are about 20 people doing the, the yoga class that Joni was doing, which looked lovely. It was right on the steps of City Hall and... Um, there, there's no one telling anyone to stop doing anything. There's, I've seen a few police officers, um, but just walking on the sidewalk and all in all, everybody looks like they're, they're getting along. There's, um, getting along really well. There's a library. Oh, hang on. We have another guest. Hi. What's your name? Regina. Hi, Regina. My name's April. Nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, most likely. Why are you here today? Well, I've been here for... Sorry, we're just trying to walk through here. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So maybe you could stand against 
maybe over there in the shade or something, clear this area out. We're trying okay, to sorry everyone. We are um, trying to move our mic, so we don't, okay, this is better, it's in the shade, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm talking to Regina now, and um, why are you here today? Okay, uh, I'm here, this is my eighth day, we've been here since day one, and we've been organizing and mobilizing, and I'm here. Uh, I formed an indigenous committee, which uh, represents all indigenous people here at the Occupy Los Angeles and also out there in organizations. So we um, have the indigenous committee for people to come and mobilize with Occupy Los Angeles. Okay, great. Uh, and where, how can people find you? Okay, so we have a welcome tent, and if they come and they ask for the Indigenous Committee or they ask and they look at the welcome tents uh, list, we have calendars of workshops. Saturdays is our workshop day, and they'll see that we have General Assemblies every evening. And before the General Assemblies and after, we also have uh, meetings for those committees. Okay, so what kind of committees are there? Oh, there's probably approximately um, 15 and probably forming 20 committees and on different things for the kitchen committee uh, first aid we have media there's an, an indigenous committee there's, um, knowing your rights committee sustainable committee uh, also a direct action committee and there's just all the committees you can think of categorizing our lives to put them in order so that we can uh, create a voice and mobilize that's great that's great um, can I ask you personally what inspires you most about this type of getting together and action well, I've been to a lot of demonstrations, and that's I've been an active warrior. An active warrior is someone, uh, well, myself, an indigenous person that goes to uh, do demonstrations for uh, years now. Uh, but the but the one different about this is that even though there's organizations out there and we're doing movements and we are making a lot of progress, this here at Occupy Los Angeles brings global attention to not only the economy and to what we're representing um, about the think the disadvantages and injustices in Wall Street, but it also has an opportunity to bring local ind indigenous issues and raise them for the indigenous people and also local issues for the city of Los Angeles. So this is actually a very um, mobilized unit that is a logistical unit that you can utilize to benefit local issues as well. And because we have mass media here and everyone's looking at us all over the globe, it represents all people and also local issues. So anyone who is a local organization or a global can be here to uh, be part of the solidarity and the movement. Oh, great. Is there anything else that you want to add in? Or? Yes, yeah, so this is family-oriented. It took a lot of time to get it to the point where it represents wholesome and sober encampment, but it is that. Regardless of all the things that are out there, uh, the rumors, this is an encampment that uh, is reliant on families and people who are sober and take, have integrity, are awake and moving towards and developing toward a good consciousness. So we are here, and if anyone wants to reach us, they can just come to the welcome tent and be directed to any kind of coordination or category that you're interested in. Okay, where is the, the location of the welcome tent? It's in the center of, um, on, to the right of the north side. Actually, we're moving north and south of City Hall, so sometimes we're over on the uh, north side or south side, but it's near the stairs in the middle um, on the side, on the west of these stairs. So the welcome tent, you can't miss, it says welcome and has an event list and calendar. Okay, wonderful. All right, nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Okay, so. Can I introduce somebody? This yes. is Joe. He does the media. Joe's also a volunteer at Bike Kitchen. Hi, Joe. Hello. I'm also a student at LACC. Shout out to, to the Cubs. So what are you here today, Joe? 
I'm here to help take our society back from uh, the rich one percent. You know, uh, it's been too long that the people and people in general haven't had control over their own destinies, and this is a movement that is trying to accomplish that. Are you representing LACC? Um, I'm representing myself. Uh, not representing the occupation as a whole. I need to say, not be used as representation for the occupation. Um, but, you know, Native Angelino, I like to think that I represent the city and uh, have a pulse of, you know, of the working people here. Do you have a job? I'm a full-time student. Wonderful. What are you studying? Cinema production. Uh, so, I guess, in effect, my facto job is working for the uh, occupied uh, media here. Okay. Uh, Nick, was there, did you, yeah, let's let Nick Joe. Joe. Yeah. So this is a kind of a, not the type of thing that happens every day. No, um, it has happened once in my lifetime, and so that's why I was so excited to jump on board. I've never seen anything like this happen. So did you know that you were, something was missing in your life? I mean, I've, I've been uh, disgruntled politically a long time, as I think Americans have. Um, it's clear that neither political party really is working in the best interest of the people as a whole. They're both, you know, heavily lobbied by, by corporations, and they're just not decisions in our own best interest. And uh, this was the best opportunity to address that that I've seen in my lifetime. So uh, we got a shout from Mikey Wally. Mikey, cool guy. He said the bike shop's happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I'd like to do, especially media, is get the bike community involved in the occupation. You know, I think that the, uh, the ovarian psycho cycles on the east side, you know, the Midnight Riders... These are people whose politics I feel closely aligned with the occupations. And if we activate them, you know, the, the see kids in East L.A., you know, get them out here. And they're a big energy that can contribute. And you got to, what's Mikey doing? Can you explain this? What is Mikey? Mikey looks like he is fixing a tire. And he's doing a really good job. So is this, what, tell me about this camp. Is it like a semi-permanent structure? It's permanent. You know, I view it permanent until... You know, the demands that we're going to come up with until they're met, I view this as a permanent situation. Okay, Mikey says he needs tire levers. And April has some. Um, we need tire levers. Thank you. So you are you came to Pershing School, one of the first people. I was. Um, I was part of the occupation in the planning stages. Um, we met for 11 days in Pershing Square before the occupation actually started and planned the whole thing out from how we're going to get porta-potties to negotiations with LPD. And it was a long process, and I didn't know how it was going to out. We had no how many people were going to show up that first day for March, and our, our estimate is 3,000. And I think that the images substantiate that. And I was just totally blown away. Um, the camp, every night. Um, three nights ago, we had 71 tents. Two nights ago, we had 125. And... I need to know exactly how many tents we have right now. I think it's more. So, and uh, it's how is how are we getting away with this? Are we getting away with this? Um, really, it hasn't been that that much of an issue in terms of with working at the city. The city, Rich Alarcon is a council member, and he came out and went to live stream. He's been very supportive since the beginning, and the city council has a resolution that they're going to vote on on Tuesday that assent. So that they're in agreement with what we're saying about the economy and that they support the occupation. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, as a native engineer, you know, I didn't think that city politics and LAPD would be so responsive and respectful of the people really trying to gain their voice thus far. 
I think they probably did the math. Yeah, I think they did the math in that, you know, they're getting a lot of press in New York, the NYPD specifically, and got enough bad press, the LAPD recently, and that would be a part of why they'd be so cool with us. Wow, it's so smart. What was that? It's smart of you guys, and it's smart of them. It is. You know, they're part of the 99%, regardless of your policy and your views on, on city government. They're clearly part of the 99%, and, you know, I'd like to think that you know, these guys went into politics with the intentions of representing people and helping people, and this is an opportunity for them to really get back to that and away from, you know, the influence of, of corruption. Hmm. So what else can you tell me that, that people might not know about what it's like to be here, to be living here? There's, um, there's a sense at the occupation that there's genuine solidarity. You know, I think Americans feel that they're fighting each other over the same piece of meat when we don't have to. There's enough meat to go around. And we're building a new society here. You know, when it rained a couple nights ago, we gave each other dry socks. You know, if you didn't have dry socks or dry clothes, you just ask anybody and, and it was given to you. You know, there's genuine solidarity here. And this is probably something that you've never been involved in things like this before, but there have been things like this before. Are you some of those things that, you know, in the past? Yeah. Um, previous social movements, obviously, like 60s is probably the most well-known one for my generation. And we've made an effort as a movement to analyze the successes and failures of past social movements and and address them. I think the strongest adjustment made is that we're lifeless. You know, previously you cut off the head and the body dies, and that's an impossible because... You know, slogans, you know, everybody's about slogans. We like to say we're leader full and not, and not least. Yeah, you, you have some interesting uh, concepts. Definitely. Um, our, our decisions as a group are built on consensus decision-making, which is messy and it takes a long time, which is why we're still coming up with our demands. But it hasn't failed us. Every decision we made with the consensus decision-making process has worked for our occupation. So do you think this is something we should be teaching our kids in schools? I do. I think it's what democracy should look like, and I think this is what democracy is going to look like. Some people don't, you know, they think that consensus is too slow. You're not coming, where are you, Mikey? Yeah, I gotta go. Mikey, gotta go to you, just, <laughs> you just did something, you just set up the bike shop. What did you just do? Huh? Did you just set up the shop? Okay, so day, this is, this is a, one of the most magical stories about this whole protest and the whole event for me. Uh, the very first day that here, I was like, I was like, the two things this place needs is a, is a library and a, and a bike shop. That's how I felt. I was recently. So I went home and I got all my personal tools and my own book stand, and a couple books, and uh, two books where a few other people were made a little pile of books. And uh, I remember the first time that I left all my.